I want to finish up this morning my series on hearing from God. I've been talking about this all through the summer. Today I want to finish by asking the question, what do we do when God doesn't speak? What if we're honestly trying to hear and we have a decision to make or we have an urgent need and it doesn't seem like God is paying any attention? Who's been there? Yeah, pretty much every hand is going to go up on that one. So what about when we don't hear from God? What do we do? You know, God is everywhere all the time, and we can know that mathematically he is omnipresent and that we're never alone. We can know that in our head, and we can even know it with our faith. But dang, if it doesn't feel a lot like that he just goes on vacation, like uh, he's asleep when we're praying, and we can't sleep, and he does when he's the one that says he never sleeps, and we would like to. You know, there's just, sometimes there's some very urgent needs, and, it, and he's not speaking, and there, or there's a decision to make, and I need to know, what do you want, God? And, and then there's nothing. And, or it's, you know, we can know that he's there, but it sure feels like we're alone, which we know isn't true, but it would be nice to hear and feel a little something, God. We all go through seasons like that. So what do we do when God isn't speaking? Number one, number one, obey this book. No matter what. Obey this. Every command, every instruction, every teaching, obey it. No matter what. We don't need to have the Holy Spirit lead us in every decision and every action and every day on a second-by-second basis because we know what God has told us to do. Psalm 119, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. God does direct us by his spirit, and that is a prevalent uh, component of the new covenant, is that we walk in communion with the Holy Spirit, and God says we would know his voice. Jesus told us to open our eyes and our ears, but his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. His word will show us where we need to go. So, if you're not hearing anything directly, just read this and obey it. This is not the backup plan, because the Holy Spirit is never going to uh, contradict this. It's not second to something uh, spiritual in your own heart, but sometimes people can forget that, um, that that we're not alone and we, we have been given instruction and we do know what to do. We can get panicked when we want God to direct us in this specific situation and You forget there's probably 27 verses in there, or probably 127 that apply. Just obey that. Psalm 119, 9 through 11 says, How can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. With my whole heart I have sought you. Oh, let me not wander from your commandments. Your word I have hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. Hide his word in your heart. Memorize it. Know it. Live it. Love it. Kiss it. Cry over it. Be excited about it. Hide his word in your heart. Number one, if you're not hearing specifically from God, don't panic, just obey the book. Read those words and obey. Number two piece of advice or uh, instruction, I guess, is uh, when you're not hearing from God and you don't know exactly what he wants you to do in this decision or that, just do the right thing. By the right thing, I mean the moral thing, the forgiving thing, the kind thing, the selfless thing the generous thing, the truth. Live in the truth. 
two or more options present themselves. Lord, I don't know if you want me to take this job or not. I don't want, I don't know if you want me to go to college or not. I don't know if this is the person I'm supposed to marry or not. Or things like that are very personal and there is scripture that applies but we do need specific direction from God in a lot of the decisions that we make. But if he isn't speaking, just keep doing the right thing. Don't ever violate your conscience. And don't ever fudge on what God has commanded us to do. Whatever is moral, whatever is forgiving, selfless, generous, whatever is truth, do that thing. Proverbs 11.3 says, The integrity of the upright will guide them but the perversity of the unfaithful will destroy them. The integrity of the upright, your own conscience and your own character that God has already grown inside your heart, you know what's right and wrong, just do it. We don't have to get into this paralysis of analysis on every decision that I am prone to because I don't want to make a mistake. I'm a perfectionist and I have high demands on myself. I don't want to get it wrong so uh, I can get paralyzed in, oh, what's right? Just, just obey God and do what you already know is right and God will direct your path. Just do the right thing. The moral thing, the truthful thing, the forgiving, kind, generous thing. Proverbs twenty three nineteen says, hear my son and be wise and guide your heart in the way. Yes, the spirit will guide our heart, but the Bible also says you guide your own heart. You make sure you stay in what you know is right. And number three, when you're not hearing from God and you think you need to, number three is keep doing the last thing he said. That one's really important. Keep doing the last thing he said. Matthew 21, Jesus is speaking. Hear another parable. There was a certain landowner who planted a vineyard and set a hedge around it. He dug a wine press in it and built a tower and he leased it to vine dressers and went into a far country. The parable that he's telling is not necessarily my point here this morning. Just notice that God is not a micromanaging landlord. He builds it exactly like he wants. Then he tells us exactly what he wants us to do, and then he leaves. Keep doing the last thing he said. He builds this vineyard, sets it up with a wall and a press and, and a tower, a guard tower and all this stuff. And then it says he, he gives it, leases it to the vine dressers. And then he goes away. No matter what comes, the king is gone, the landlord is gone. No matter what comes, weather, bugs, enemy attack, hot days, cold days, no matter what. The people who are in charge of the vineyard know our assignment is to grow grapes and make wine. Whatever it takes to do that. So, in your life, in this church, in your family, there is an overall assignment. Do whatever you need to do to accomplish that. I'm not going to stay around and micromanage you. Because the reason a king has servants is so that he doesn't have to do the job. Right? An employer hires employees so that he or she doesn't have to stand around and do every job. So 
I don't care how you do it, just get it done, is sort of God's philosophy. Here's what I want done. This is the final product. Make it happen. Have a nice life. (laughs) I hope you see my point, that he's not abandoning us to our own devices. Sorry, now you're on your own. Sink or swim. That's that's not God, but he's not going to stick around and guide us through every little decision of every day when he's already told us the big picture. Just make it happen. And in that, you're free to make it happen however you want. Another parable that shows the same thing, Matthew 25. Jesus is speaking again here. The kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, and each according to his own ability. And immediately he went on a journey. And then he who had received the five talents went and traded with them and made another five talents. Likewise, he who had received two gained two more also. But he who had received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with us. You know, Jesus was giving us hints 2,000 years ago. It will be a long time before I get back. After a long time, he came and settled accounts with his servants. Do you see that Jesus is not a micromanaging manager? Yeah? He says, here's here's my kingdom resources. I give them to you. You do your business and make me a prophet. Just do the job for me. So, in a sense, there is a sense where Jesus has deposited talents and wisdom and experiences and knowledge and spiritual gifts and even your desires in your heart are a gift from God. Again, we don't have to become paralyzed and analyzing, what does God want me to do? Just what do you know the big picture is? Save people. Worship God, serve him, save people, love the church. There's, there's like four or five really big, you know, big picture wide assignments we've got. Just be the church, which worships God and saves people and takes care of people. And however you want to do that, make it happen. And you notice that if you know the rest of this story, Jesus, when he, when he comes to the man who gives him ten coins back instead of five, he's like, well done, that's awesome. The guy who has two brings four, and he says, well done, that's great. He's not at all concerned that he didn't do as well as the first guy. He's, he's not judging you on your capacity he's judging on you uh, did you do what something with what I gave you according to your capacity it says right there according to their ability so we all want to I'm not doing as well as so and so and God's gonna not be as pleased with me he's gonna be greatly pleased if you just give him some return that you did something but the the guy that does nothing who buries his money if you know the rest of that story he he's in big trouble because he didn't do anything. Actually, the guy who buries it, we don't really know his motivation. Maybe he's lazy. Maybe he's selfish about his time. Maybe he doesn't want to serve his master. But maybe he's just indecisive. Well, I didn't know what you wanted me to do, so I didn't do anything. That still makes Jesus mad. Indecisiveness is still the opposite of faith. So Jesus is not a micromanaging Lord. He's got lots of work to do. And, okay, I I know. I know that spiritually he can be everywhere and he can be directing everybody. But that's just not, 
That's not real life. An employer who did that, who wanted to run around and direct every decision and every step and every department and every employee out on the production floor, wouldn't get anything done. You just got to hire people and let them do what they're going to do. If they're not getting the final product done, fire them. But as long as they're getting the final product manufactured, let them do it. A king in the ancient world would have so many construction projects going on, he can't be standing over the stonemason and say, now I want you to put that rock there, and I want you to put that rock there. And, and No, he just he has an architect draw the plans, and we check them off, and you make that happen. Assemble the people, and, and everybody's got their rank and their order and their place in all of that, but, but make it happen. Just do it. So... Some of the decisions that we get all wound up about and we panic, God's not speaking to me, God isn't answering my prayer, maybe because he doesn't care all that much. Which thing you do? My daughter was asking me just uh, last week, what should I do after high school, Dad? And we were talking about college or not and art school or not and missions or not and, and so on. And there's so much pressure on a upperclassman, high school kid with all of their options and decisions and the money it costs. And I mean, I, I, last year I was saying about, well, uh, my son should not have to make a quarter million dollar decision when he's 16. This should not have to happen, but it does. But my daughter is, is in this, and in no way was it getting stressful. or I just didn't want it to get stressful. And I said, listen, honey, at the end of the day, God may not care whether you go to college or not or whether you work at a sandwich shop or not, as long as your heart is his, and you do whatever you want to do. <laughs> if your heart is his, do whatever you want to do, unless he specifically gives you direction, don't worry about it. Eric Johnson at Bethel says it this way, the light is always green unless it's red. You know, And that sounds funny, like, well, duh. Yeah. But that's a big difference from the light is red unless it's green. People who think God's light is red, no, 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 you can't do, you can't do, unless it's green, well, God will tell me when I can go. No, God says go. Jesus' command is just a blanket. Go to every nation. Just go. Just go out into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in. Just go. The light is green unless it's red. Some of our decisions, God will say, uh, nope, that's not it. That's not the job for you. That's not the, the, the relationship for you or whatever. Absolutely, be ready at a moment's notice to come to a screeching halt with whatever you've planned. But it's green. It's green. Unless it's red. Because he's not a micromanager. He is somebody who says, here's the vineyard, grow grapes, make wine, I'm going on vacation. <laughs> That's trust, folks. It's trust. It's, you are my servants, but I'm not going to treat you like my kids. You're adults, and I trust you. Amen. Amen. Number four, about um, why would God not speak, and how do we see that, and how do we think about it, and what do we do, is that God tests us. All the time, Scripture talks about God testing us, and during a test, the teacher does not get to tell you what the answers are. All through the New Testament and the Old Testament, God tests his people, Deuteronomy 8.2. You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you, to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. There are many, many scriptures about 
God testing his people. In the Old Testament, it always says, I tested you to know if you would obey me. I tested you to know if you would fear my name. In the New Testament, it doesn't define the test so much. We're just told to be very, very happy when they come. <laughs> Thanks, God. Uh-huh. Psalm 11, verse 5 and 6. The Lord tests the righteous, but the wicked and the one who loves violence his soul hates. Upon the wicked he will rain coals and fire and brimstone, and a burning wind shall be the portion of their cup. So we, we get that God resists and destroys the wicked, but the righteous he tests. And Isaiah says he tests us as in a furnace, as if we were silver and gold. And James says, be very, very excited when you face various tests. The word can be translated trial, temptation, or test. Any of the three are perfectly accurate. Be very happy, exceedingly glad when God puts you in the furnace. Yeah, and I see the look on your face. And you see the look on my face. It's not an option. It's a command. Be very excited. But during the test, the teacher does not get to tell you the answer. It is, here's the test. Now I'm going to be silent. And I'm watching to see the answer you give. Why would God be silent? You're taking a test. Everybody with test anxiety is sweating now. Mm -hmm. There's a scripture in Kings that says that the Lord withdrew from Hezekiah to see what he would do. Saul also failed a test uh, when God said, don't do this, and he got scared and he did it. Every father at some point in a son's life or a daughter's, um, but I'm thinking with Will and me, at some point I have to back off and let him learn stuff on his own. Everything from getting the lawnmower started to his college calculus class. I just, I can't do that for you, son. You'll never grow up and be a man if helicopter mom and, and babysitting dad is always coming in and rescuing you from your problems. Man up. You'll pass the test just fine. Psalm 105. Joseph was sold as a slave. He was laid in irons, meaning handcuffs, until the time that his word came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. God gave Joseph a vision of his future, and then everything happened exactly the opposite, and not just opposite, but torturously opposite. He's falsely accused and sold into slavery and put in jail, and God says, I was testing him. Would he remain faithful to me? Sometimes there's a test, and apparently more than one. And again, during the test, the teacher can't talk. So, if you're wondering why God might be silent and what to do, number one, just keep obeying this book. Number two, do the right thing. Do what's true and moral forgiving and just. Just keep doing the last thing he said. Just believe that you're mostly free when he's not directing you. It's okay to make your own decisions. Just be humble enough to be ready to change your mind if that's what he says. 
and also realize that you might be taking a test. Number five, lastly, there are other much more serious situations in life where God is silent, where it's beyond just the everyday frustrations of life or even beyond a really bad situation. There is another type of suffering that Jesus talked about, and I want to read it to you from Mark chapter 10. Mark 10, 35 to 40. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him saying, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And he said to them, What do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, Grant us that we may sit, one on your right hand and the other on your left, in your glory. They're still thinking that Jesus is going to be an earthly king, set up a throne in Jerusalem, fight off the Romans, and establish the throne line of David again. And they said, we want to be on the right and left hand of your throne. We're the top nobles in your kingdom, your closest advisors. We want to sit right next to you. And this is Jesus' reply. Jesus said to them, you do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and to be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with? And they said to him, we are able. So Jesus said to them, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink. And with the baptism I am baptized with, you will be baptized. In Matthew's telling of this story, Jesus says, are you able to be baptized with the baptism I am about to be baptized with? So it's very clear. This is like just a few days before he dies on the cross. He's talking about the cross. He says, if you want to be nobility in my kingdom, you have no idea what you're asking you're going to be baptized with the baptism I'm baptized with? And he had already said, you cannot be my disciple unless you take up, my cross, take up your cross and follow me. They don't know what he's talking about. Oh, yeah, Jesus, we can take it. We can do it. He's like, you have no idea. There is a baptism that is the cross. And this is Jesus' language. Other preachers and I, too, have called it the baptism of suffering. The baptism is being pipped completely under. And Jesus was baptized in death. And there are seasons that come into a person's life. Anybody who's going to follow Jesus, Jesus said, you will be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. He's not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, That's true, but that's not what he's talking about here. Because he said, you will be baptized with the baptism I'm about to be baptized with. If you're going to follow me, you will be baptized in suffering. There's a... A season that St. John of the Cross called the dark night of the soul. And one of the defining factors of the dark night of the soul, of the baptism of death that Jesus talked about, is God's silence. Jesus on the cross said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It is just a fact that when we have to go through that season or that event, that time period, God is quiet just like he was with Jesus. He doesn't leave us. We know he loves us. We know he never sleeps. We know he's always watching. But it is a lonely place. And it is a baptism of death. Jesus said in the, in the garden, I am weary unto death. Jeremiah cursed the day he was born. Three times Job said, I wish I'd never been born. Jonah says, God, wouldn't it be better if I just died? You will know if you've been through your baptism of suffering If you can look back and you know exactly when you wanted to die. And I don't mean some rash response in a rash moment. But you can look back on that season or that event or that thing. 
And you can say, I've never been the same since. That killed all of what I thought life would be. And I honestly wanted to die. The only reason I am alive now is what Paul said, I am alive to serve Jesus and to serve you. Otherwise, I would love to get out of here. One of the defining characteristics of that is that God is silent. So besides Jesus, the person to consult about the dark night of the soul and the baptism of suffering is Job. I mean, Job knows all about it. The story of Job is this, that the devil comes before God one day and God picks a fight with him. And he says, hey, have you noticed my servant Job down there? I'm really proud of him. He's a great guy. And Satan says, he only serves, he's only good to you because you're good to him. And so God gives him permission to ruin his life. All right, do whatever you want to him. I promise you he will not curse me. He will not leave me. He will, he will stay faithful. And so the Satan comes down and in one day, Job loses all his crops, all his animals, all his assets, and all his kids. Satan kills them all. And Job sits in ashes and he's weeping. He tears his clothes and it says, and in all of this, Job did not sin. He says, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. He says, in all of this, God did not, or Job did not sin. The devil comes back to God and he says, well, okay, so he didn't sin, but it's only because you didn't let me touch him. God says, all right, go ahead. Satan strikes him again and he gets really sick. He's in terrible pain. And for 37 chapters after this, we have Job complaining and Job defending himself. I don't deserve this. Why is this happening? I didn't do anything wrong. God, why are you doing this? And three of Job's friends, none of us want friends like Job, but his three friends are sitting there saying, you have to have done something really bad, Job, because God is fair. He's just. He wouldn't strike you like this if you hadn't, didn't deserve it. For 37 chapters of why, God, why is this happening? Why did life turn out this way? I didn't do anything to deserve this, God. And his friends blaming him, falsely accusing him, in the name of trying to justify God, defend God, they're blaming Job. But for 37 chapters, Job complains about his situation. He, three times he curses the day he was born. He defends himself. But Bob Sorge points out that in all of this, we, reading the book, reading the story, we know something Job doesn't know. We know God's perspective. We have seen in the first chapter or two what God is doing and why he's doing it. Job is never told why God allowed that stuff to happen. Job doesn't have the perspective that we have. And God never explains himself. In Job 7, verse 20, Job says, have I sinned? Speaking to God, complaining to God. Have I sinned? What have I done to you, O watcher of men? Why have you made me your target? And in Job 9, 21, he says, I am blameless. I didn't do anything wrong. Why are you picking on me, God? Why is life so hard? Why did it turn this out this way? I don't deserve this. This is unjust. Anybody recognize those kinds of prayers? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 37 chapters of Job complaining and defending himself and his friends accusing him 
trying to defend God but blaming Job. And God is silent, totally quiet. God says nothing. And then we get to chapter 38, and God shows up in a tornado. The Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. This is God speaking to Job. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you will answer them. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determined its dimensions and stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations and who laid its cornerstone as the morning stars sang together and the sons of God shouted for joy? Who keeps the sea inside of its boundaries? Have you ever commanded the morning to appear? Can you cause the dawn to rise in the east? Have you made daylight spread to the ends of the earth? Have you explored the springs from which the sea comes? Do you know their depths? Do you know where the gates of death are located? Have you seen the gates of utter gloom? Do you know the extent of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Where does light come from? Where does darkness go? Can you take each to its home? Have you visited the storehouses of snow and seen the storehouses of hail? Can you create a path for lightning? Can you make it rain? Does the rain have a father? Who gives birth to the dew? Who is the mother of ice? Who gives birth to the frost from heaven? When the water turns as hard as rock and the surface of the water freezes, can you direct the movements of the stars, binding the cluster of the Pleiades and loosening the cords of Orion? Can you direct the sequence of the seasons? Do you know the laws of the universe? Can you use them to regulate the earth? Can you shout to the clouds and make it rain? Can you make lightning appear and cause it to strike as you direct? He goes through chapter 39, speaking of animals. He says, can you make animals give birth? Do you give animals their food every day? He says, is it your wisdom that makes the hawk soar and spread its wings toward the south? Is it your command that the eagle rises to the heights and makes its nest? Then the Lord said to Job, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic. Do you have the answers? Chapter 40, 3 and 4. Then Job answered the Lord and said, behold, I am vile. What answer shall I answer you? I lay my hand over my mouth. He's gone from shouting, I am blameless, I don't deserve this. Why are you picking on me, God? And then he sees God, and God doesn't answer a single question. God doesn't tell him anything. He just says, what do you know, Job? And Job says, you're right. I am nothing. I have nothing to say. God's not done. God comes back at him a second time. Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you will answer them. Will you discredit my justice and condemn me just to prove you are right? Are you as strong as God? Can you thunder with a voice like his? All right, then, put on your glory and your splendor, your honor and majesty. Give vent to your anger. Let it overflow against the proud. If you could do that, then even I would praise you, because your own strength would save you. He goes on for another chapter and a half about behemoth and leviathan, these monsters that no man can tame, but God can. Chapter 42, then Job replied to the Lord, I know that you can do anything and no one can stop you. You asked, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I. I was talking about things I did not know anything about. Things far too wonderful for me. This is Job speaking to God. You said, listen, and I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. But I had only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my own eyes, 
verse 6, Therefore I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. And after the Lord had said these things to Job, he said to Eliphaz the Temanite, he's one of the three friends who's been blaming Job this whole time. He says, I am angry with you and your two friends because you have not spoken of me what is right as my servant Job has. Job has all these questions. We get perspective. We know why God is doing what he's doing. And we know that God is going to rescue him and redeem him and save his life at the end. He's going to make it all right. But Job never knows that. Job never told anything. God will not answer why, ever, for anybody in this life. After Judgment Day, we'll, we, we will know why things happened the way they did, why God did what he did, why he let the devil do what he did, why stupid people did what they did, and why we made dumb choices. We'll know it all. Those are the four sources of our problems. <laughs> God, the devil, other sinners, and our own sin. We will understand what was what and why and why did we have so much pain and trouble and why didn't things work out the way we dreamed and why did you let me go through that, God, and not fix it? But he will never answer that now. He just shows up in front of Job and reveals his glory and his wisdom and his power and Job falls on his face and says, I have nothing more to say. When he says, I am vile, when he says, I despise myself, that isn't self-hatred. It is just, I, I'm nothing before you, God. I have no right to complain. I have no right to complain. You are God and I am not. But then in this fantastically strange irony twist, the next thing God says to Job's friends who have been trying to defend God and say, oh, God is just and he wouldn't do this if there wasn't a reason and you must have been really bad, Job. God says to Eliphaz, you need to have Job pray for you so I don't kill you. <laughs> because Job was right and you are wrong. So they take seven cows and they make a sacrifice to God and it says Job prays for his friends and God doesn't kill them. Even though it was Job doing the complaining, God says what he said was right. You know, it's not wrong to complain to God and cry and ask him why this is happening. As long as you understand, you're never going to get an answer. <laughs> we just have to move forward in faith. We have to move forward in extreme humility. God, as bad as this hurts... This is my life, and I trust you, and I will obey you, and I believe you are good no matter what. Yes. Some of you didn't get that. You may ask God why, you may cry, you may be angry with him, you can get it all out, just let him have it. Just cry, scream, complain, but in the end... I am not God and you are. I am dust. You're the creator. This is my life. For good or bad, for better or for worse, this is how it turned out. I will love you. I will obey you. I will walk with you. You're God and I'm not. Amen. I know that you're not going to see God in a tornado with your physical eyes. You're not going to hear his voice with your ears. But the perspective we can get from Job's story is 
as much as possible, as quickly as possible, as humbly as possible, get to the point where you can honestly say, God, you are God and I am not. And I have nothing to complain about. I am only your servant. Jesus said at the end of your life, say this, we are only unworthy servants who have done what we should do anyway. That's what Jesus said. When you meet God, just say, thank you for everything. I'm only your unworthy servant. I was only doing what I should have done anyway. Amen? Amen.